Can artificial intelligence make healthcare human again? I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Eric Topol, Director, Scripps Research Translational Institute, physician, scientist, and author of Deep Medicine, How AI Can Make Healthcare More Human Again. Welcome, Dr. Topol. Thanks very much, Tanya. Great to be with you. So what does the Scripps Research Translational Institute do? Well, its main charge is to advance individualized medicine, the tenet that if we can understand a person, their medical essence, much better, all that data, all that information, we can do a much better job of promoting their health care. Before we get into AI as a cure for certain ills in the healthcare industry, Start us out by describing how time is at the root of many of the healthcare delivery challenges that doctor face to, doctors face today. Well, you're right, Tanya. Time is the bottleneck. That's what's re the result of that limited time is the lack of a relationship anymore between patients and doctors. Also, the lack of ability to assimilate all the data about a person, the, the uh, extensive medical errors that are occurring, the reflexive use of tests and promiscuous uh, use of medicines and all sorts of things because of lack of time. So it's really been dehumanizing and it's a serious breach of what medicine is all about. In, in what ways can AI, artificial intelligence, be applied to make doctors and healthcare professionals more productive and accurate? Well, that would be the short-term plan, which is we can offload so much to machines. They can see things better than humans will ever see in terms of training and deep learning, whether that's scans or slides or uh, voice to get rid of keyboards, uh, all sorts of things that we can just outsource to machines and algorithms and also to offload to patients who wanna take on more charge. So if we do that, we can get, for example, we know that 30% of scans have a false negative, something is missed. That error rate could get down to very low single digits, maybe never zero, just by training uh, algorithms. So there's so many ways to improve accuracy, getting all the information as inputs, and just doing a better job, but most important, that get the time back, which is the human beings to connect. Uh, that's what's missing today. Much of machine learning and AI is built around pattern recognition, but you say in the book that much of the healthcare task is not always geared towards patterns. So how do you reconcile AI's core strength with the actual practice of medicine? Well, that's where you get a real symbiosis. You rely more on machines for patterns, interpretation, classification. You still need human oversight. You're not going to trust an algorithm with a life-threatening condition but you get that help that ability to just go through an image not miss things interpret it more accurately whether that's a medical scan or a slide or a skin lesion or a long long list of patterns that are part of everyday medicine but that pattern includes all the data terabytes of data about each person that's growing exponentially with things like wearable sensors the genome the gut microbiome, environmental center, and on and on. So humans can't do that anymore, can't do it well. But if we get that synergy, 
of what machines can do well and what doctors should be able to do a whole lot better. That is interhuman connection, empathy, compassion, trust, presence, all these things about that relationship that has deteriorated so much over recent decades. What role will health-related wearable tech and health apps actually play in the big picture? And how will consumers know which products and apps are actually truly medical grade? Well, that's a lot of, that's a big question to unpack. Uh, as far as the latter one, Tanya, it's, there isn't any good way right now to differentiate the pseudo apps, the ones that have no value versus the ones that do, except if you were able to review peer-reviewed papers that are published and FDA filings. And, you know, it's hard for the average person out there to know whether there's something that's the real deal. And unfortunately, that's got to change. But increasingly, we're going to be turning to real-time, real-world data, which we haven't. All, all along, medicine has been a one-off story. You go to the doctor, you get a blood pressure reading or get a lab test, but that doesn't reflect the real world. Uh, your day-to-day -day existence. And so now with sensors, we can do that. And so we're going to see much more use of sensors as long as we can process that data in a meaningful way. And that's what is the big challenge that lies ahead. It's multimodal data. Any person might have multiple sensors. Like, for example, simple ones today get sleep and uh, steps. But in the future, it may have all your vital signs if you're uh, instead of being in a hospital, uh, it might have everything about you, a virtual coach, just like they have a virtual assistant today, and give you feedback about this is how you can prevent an illness that you might otherwise be predisposed to. So that's a really exciting direction once you could integrate all this data. How confident are you as a health technology expert that we can secure private patient data from hackers and those who exploit data for marketing purposes? Well, that's a very serious concern. It's not the top of my list, but it's close of worries, liabilities. I think there are solutions for that, technologic solutions as well as legislative requirements. We haven't taken this seriously. More than 60% of Americans have had their medical data breached. It's incredibly valuable, more than our financial and personal data. And unless we do something serious, to stop cyber thievery, hacking, holding health systems hostage, all sorts of things that are happening out there. Some of the things we don't even know about because uh, it's, it's shameful. So we have to get our uh, grip on all that. And I do think it's soluble, but we haven't taken it seriously. Where is AI providing the best healthcare ROI today? And where would you like to see additional AI research and resources invested? Well, the one that's really starting to take off and will take hold in the next few years is the elimination or liberation from keyboards, because that gets rid of the data clerk function of doctors and yet gets rid of a lot of the problems we have today that lead to burnout. The doctors weren't really signing up to be data clerks. And when they became that, they lost their charge, their mission of providing care. So if we can get people feeling better, higher morale about the, being in the medical profession, that would be great. And that's already happening in the UK, select centers in the US, throughout China, getting rid of keyboards, the common enemy of both patients and doctors and nurses, in fact. 
So voice is going to be a big factor there. Uh, the other one that's longer term, that's enormous potential, is getting rid of hospital rooms. Not the intensive care unit or operating rooms or the emergency room, but the regular hospital rooms. People would be better off, much cheaper, uh, and much more convenient and be with their loved ones in their own bedroom. And we can do that. We have the technical capability, but we haven't put enough uh, into it to, to make it uh, actual. Dr. Eric Topol, founder and director of Scripps Research Translational Institute, physician, scientist, and author of Deep Medicine, How AI Can Make Healthcare More Human Again. You know, thanks so much time, uh, Eric, for giving us uh, some insight about your book. If somebody wants to get a copy or maybe they want to connect, connect with you personally, how can they do that? Well, the copy is easily obtained through Amazon. Uh, they can see me through Twitter. I'm putting stuff out there every day. My email, of course, etopol at script.edu. Thanks again. And if you guys want to find me and more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.